the last few years have taught us many lessons about expecting the unexpected and adjusting to change. And really, your best qualification for your next job is to be able to demonstrate your ability to adapt to new circumstances and make the best of them. You are the uh, captain of your career ship, and it's probably gotten tossed on the waves a bit recently. But if you could demonstrate how you've managed that and how you, you've prepared yourself to move forward and are continuing to prepare yourself to meet new unexpected circumstances. Employers have also gotten their ships tossed pretty wildly in these seas. So if they can find somebody who is willing to partner with them, they're going to be very interested in talking to you, I think. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios. That's in the Brewer District, just south of downtown Columbus, Ohio. Hi, this is Brett. You know, we've been reaching out to local experts to determine what we should expect in this new year. We spent the past few weeks asking each expert to give us their top tips for 2023. Brett, you know, we are so lucky to have wonderful friends willing to share their expertise and knowledge to help our audience members. And today, our top tips are going to focus on employment search process. And our friend Sharon Hammersley is here to provide valuable information. So Sharon, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Love to see both of you. Love to share my tips and looking forward to seeing what we can do here to help our friends out there in podcast land. Sounds good. You know, needless to say, the last few years have been adventurous in the least for job seekers. Uh, today, we want to provide job seekers some information on changes in the current job market and tips on how to be effective as a job seeker in 2023. But first, now let's talk about you. You know, give us a little bit of a background and the services you're now providing to those looking for employment and career transitions because you've changed a little bit too over time. Oh, yes. I think part of being in business is being willing to change and be flexible and to to meet the needs of the people that you're trying to serve. So um, over 10 years ago, I started a business called The Resume Coach, helping candidates prepare for a 21st century job search. And I've added LinkedIn coaching to that and also LinkedIn coaching for small businesses and solopreneurs. So if anybody in that category is listening, love to have a conversation with you. I, I also worked as an academic advisor at Ohio State for over 20 years uh, with Carol, sort of. We were in separate areas, but we, you know, we intersected many yes. times, yes. I think. Yeah. And guiding students through choices related to their major and their career. And I still have a passion for doing that. And, and occasionally, I'll get a referral, usually from one of my clients saying, uh, you know, my son or daughter is going to graduate or they're looking for an internship. Can you help them out too? And I love to do that. And I've also been involved in two job search support organizations here in the Columbus area, um, developing and teaching courses on resumes, interviewing, and job search strategies. So I'm all in on the job search process, constantly trying to learn myself and and 
keep up with all the changes because boy, have there been a lot. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I, I keep reading through um, more recent articles online about what's going on in the job search process. And a lot of it's the same, but boy, you get a little tiny bit here and there. And suddenly, you know, your eyes are like huge going, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And and what's been changing over time. So let's get started. And as you just mentioned, resumes, that's really the most important document. Um, let's review what's changed in the creation of resumes over the past couple of years. And is there anything coming up in 2023 that we really need to watch out for? Yes, there certainly is. Uh, before I talk about that, I just want to make sure that it, we lay the foundation because one thing that's definitely not changed, and I would be very surprised if it ever does, is the principle that the resume is not about you. It's about ad addressing the employer's needs. And therefore, your resume is your first chance to tell an employer what you can help them with. Mm -hmm. I think that's always going to be true. So what's changed over the past few years? Uh, number one, the remote workforce, how that affects hiring, the employer-employee relationship, uh, relationships between employees, all of that. And that's definitely now that we have a re remote workforce. And I don't, it, you know, there's a lot of buzz about there about how people are back in the office or being told they have to go back in the office or resisting going back in the office or being allowed to continue to work remotely. There's a lot of buzz around that. But um, basically, it is a different workplace than it was three years ago. Right. So um, what you really need, and, and you should be able to demonstrate this on your resume, is there are some skills that are necessary to navigate remote work. Um, for instance, um, just... When you're in the office, you know, you have the mind says, okay, I'm in the office and I'm working. When you're working remotely um, on your resume, and if, if the position is remote, you need to demonstrate for sure how you manage your time and how you manage that balance between um, sitting in front of a computer, you know, talking to other people on Zoom or whatever platform you use and all of the other parts of your life that are sitting right next to you, basically. So it's important to talk a little bit about that. Maybe not so much in the resume, except to manage, mention time, time management and prior, you know, setting priorities and those things. But especially in the interview, we prefer to discuss that. Um, another thing that has changed, and this is really no surprise. We've all heard about the great resignation, which isn't really a resignation, but I call it the great workforce shift mm -hmm. because many people are looking to um, move into a different line of work. And so therefore, they need to really work on identifying and highlighting their transferable skills. So um they have a specific skill set that they've gained through their employment, through training, but there are a lot of transferable skills that they can move across industries, across careers even, or they can bring forward something. Maybe they started in one career and then just out of necessity, 
Um, they did something else, and now they're really ready to get back to that first career. So they have to think about what what did they learn in that first career? How did they even apply it in their most recent position? And how can they apply that and demonstrate that moving forward into a different area? And then the last thing I would say about that is that there may be, I, I'm not sure 100%, there may be more acceptance of employers for gaps in work history. Um, you still need to be able to fill in those gaps with information about how your time off contributed to your personal career growth. Now, you know, at the beginning of 2020 um, and through 2020 and 2021, lots of people just got laid off. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's understandable. And if an employer doesn't understand that type of gap in your work history, I'm not sure you really want to work for them. But, you know, you can just say, I was laid off. I spent some time reevaluating. Um, now I'm positive that I know, you know, what my next step is and the position that you've posted is a good fit for me. And here's why. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Sharon, you know, I, I've seen um, literature on both that the gaps are being ignored and the gaps aren't being ignored. But I really didn't see that second situation where gaps are, are not being ignored until very recently. So I, I think p that employers have been more understanding when there were gaps. But as you said, the really important part of this isn't the gap. It's what did you do to fill in your time? Did you do some volunteer work? Did you do some online training? Did you um, do some educational programs? Anything that uh, it's, it's not that you're just filling in the months, but that you're continuing to learn. Yeah. And that's one way that you really can demonstrate that you'll be valuable to your next employer is you make good use of your time, right? You know, right. Whether whether it's something that you you planned for and expected to do, or something that's quite unplanned, but you figure out how to best make use of that time so that you can move forward. So, right. Yeah. You and I had a conversation too. If I'm going back to the beginning of your your answer to the, my question, when you said we need resumes need to address employer needs. And I, I think I mentioned this to you. Someone said to me that the most important thing for for a job candidate to realize is that the reason an employer is hiring anyone is because they have a problem to be solved. And sometimes I think that's a little easier to think through for a candidate than an employer needs. Um, yeah. Because that when you think about it being a problem – then I think it's a natural um, inclination to see your skills as the answer to their problem. Yes, and it seems I think more that's concrete, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. I think that's a really helpful approach. Um, the The employer has a problem. They, you know, they need somebody to solve that problem, or maybe they have a challenge, or they have an opportunity. Maybe mm -hmm. you know they're looking at growing, and they need people who are. Um, in a growth mindset and, you know, are right. going to contribute to that growth, want want to be eager to contribute to that growth. So, right. yeah. I, I guess I just see that as a, a clearer um, connector, you know, when you're yeah. talking problem, opportunity, growth, as opposed to need, which sounds yeah. more esoteric, I mm -hmm. think. 
Sure. So yeah. I, I, I kind of like that sort of our, a little bit of change in our language about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to go back to your your first point in that answer, too, is about managing time as well as, you know, looking at it. Working remotely is enticing. But I also heard recently, and, and we probably all knew that it was out there, but, you know, working remotely, there are a lot of companies that put in place that will monitor your time. They watch yes. they watch your keystrokes. They know when you're working and not working. So to your point, proving that you can work efficiently at home. You know, yeah. it's, it's not just they're letting you out there in the wild going, oh, yeah, get the task done, get the task done. A lot of companies are, they're in your computer. They know when or when you're not working. So know yourself, know that you can get this accomplished and know that it, but it's enticing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there could be hell to pay <laughs> if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. You need to negotiate that and understand very clearly that, you know, when uh, later on in the process, and especially if you get an offer, you know, you need to be very clear about the, you know, the level of monitoring. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it probably depends somewhat on the job, sure. but I I would think that um, all employers are going to do some level of checking to see if you're actually doing the work. So you just need to be very clear on that's okay with you because I think some people would view that as a really uh, bad, you know, really. Um, intrusive sort of mentality but but it's just reality so that's something that you really need to think through exactly and you know too added adding to that um we have had lots of conversations about employers not giving really good job descriptions but the other uh, side of that coin is when you're developing your resume and and you're interviewing for a particular position, you really got to be careful and pay really close attention to the res to the job description. Um, it yes. may or may not be a great job description, but if there's information in there, you need to make sure you understand it. Particularly in today's workforce, given everything that's happening with remote working. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. And there are other items that are really important to a solid job applications, especially cover letters. Um, There have been so many changes on cover letters over the years. We just posted something just recently um, on our Facebook page too. And and no one likes to write them, of course. Are they necessary? Why, if they are? Well, yes, that seems to be an ongoing discussion. I think this discussion is as old as cover letters, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So so in in my circle – of you know, colleagues, cover letters are really strongly encouraged because you can certainly say that, um, oh yeah, they're probably not going to read it. But you know, what if a recruiter is looking for a cover letter and there isn't one there? You don't want that to happen for sure, right? So yeah, they they you really want to submit a cover letter for several reasons. Um, first of all. They present a nutshell version of why you are a good fit for a job. This is your first opportunity to respond to the employer's um, problem, their challenge, their opportunity, and say, hey, I can help you with this. Then it's also an opportunity to address any questions before the reviewer even gets to your resume about your career history, if you have employment 
gaps, if you've changed um, in your line, you're making a career change or changing line of your work, or in some cases, you may be just be thinking about um, for especially our mature candidates starting to wind down and maybe you don't want the level of responsibility you've had in the past. And to make that very clear in the cover letter helps guide the reviewer to a more positive image of what's in your resume. Um, And even when not required, many recruiters and managers view cover letters as an indication that the applicant is willing to go above and beyond. You know, Mm -hmm. they didn't ask for a cover letter, but you provided one. So I think that that's just something that you need to really think about. A cover letter doesn't have to be and shouldn't be actually this big, long missive. You know, it should be um, how you found out about the job, um, some a brief description of why you're a good fit for a job, and then what I call the ask, um, which is looking forward to having a conversation with you about the job. Here's my contact information. Um, sincerely, and you're done. So doesn't need to be a really long detail. In fact, long-winded cover letters, I think, are probably going to turn the reviewer off. So right. be brief, be succinct, um, and just tell them and refer them on to the resume for more details. Kind of like that first now, date, don't I, be desperate kind of feel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Don't be desperate. Please give me a job. Right, yeah. right, yes, right. I'll do anything. <laughs> well, and but yeah, right. I, you know, I sort of the, my rule of thumb has always been unless there is something specific in the job description or in an email or some communication that you have with the employer that says do not send a cover letter, then the understanding is you do it. And even if yeah. they don't read it until you are literally walking in the door for an interview, a good cover letter could start an interview off on a great first step because they're like, oh, wow, this is a great cover letter. You know, it could yeah. it could really add to your application um, and your application package. But um, yeah. so it's better to, it's, if you're going to make an error, it's better to err on the side of having it than not having it. That's correct. And and I also, it's a bit of a head scratcher for me why an employer would ever say don't send a cover letter. I'm wondering, okay, so um, what does that say about that employer? Are they sort of like, uh, this is the way we do things. And and if, if you deviate well, you know, um, maybe we're not interested. So it, it, that is a bit of a head scratcher. I yeah, mean, it almost feels like they're, they have a high attrition rate. You know, right. they're, just, yeah, they're churning right. and burning and it doesn't matter. We just want bodies. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Sharon, a question came up, and I don't remember where I had this discussion a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Um, some folks think of cover letters as part of the document of the resume. and But often employers don't want those two pieces in the same electronic document, that a cover letter is a separate document than a resume. Yes. And and it depends on your application method, I would say. If you're applying via email, um, your cover letter is the body of the email. That's the easiest way to sure. to um to get that in there and then you attach your resume as a document. Um 
if you're uploading to a website, um, hopefully someplace in the application process, and this is where it gets a bit tricky, um, there's a place, you know, if it says upload your resume here, um, then you would upload your resume, obviously. And you hope that there's a spot somewhere to do one of two things. Either there's a comments thing where you can, you know, copy and paste your cover letter or um, upload any additional documentation you wish to submit. So that's a place to upload your cover letter. So, yeah, it does get a bit tricky when you're applying online. But, you know, um, the creative applicant will, in most cases, try to find a way around not being able to submit a cover letter with their application. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So Sharon, a, a candidate has developed cover letter, developed um, resume, sent it in. There are other kinds of bits and pieces that go in with that, what I've always called an application package uh, for better or worse terms. Uh, particularly if somebody is looking at those transition type positions, maybe even just a promotion within their company, there are other kinds of things they need to do. That's definitely the case. Um, there, there are other parts of um, your candidacy that you need to pay some attention to. And two important things are follow-up and thank you notes. So let's talk about follow-up first. Um, when you submit your initial application, um, you, you should really follow up. Now, you get a lot of, of feedback that says, no phone calls, no this, that, or the other thing. But what you really find is that people who are, what I say, the two Ps, polite and persistent, often have more success in gaining that interview and then gaining subsequent interviews than people that just kind of sit around and wait for the interviewer or manager or recruiter to contact them. Now, um, uh, polite means that you don't hound folks, but persistent means that you say, you know, basically your message is always, I'm interested in this position. I'd like to talk to you. What information could I provide so we can move forward? Um, so you, and that can be, I would say, Probably, if you don't hear back within, you know, four to five days of the initial submission of your of your um, application, uh, a quick uh, phone call or an email to say, hey, still interested, wondering where you are in the process. Now, you don't want to continue this endlessly because um there's a whole, and this is a whole nother topic. We can't even go there today. It's called ghosting. Mm. And it, yeah, on both sides, recruiters basically uh, going dark and, and candidates going dark. And that's the worst thing you can do. If you hear from a recruiter or manager, you want to keep that conversation going until, you know, the, the point at which uh, there's nothing else to talk about and it's probably not a fit and it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. But anyway. So follow-up is really critical. Now, another area that just really stuns me because I've seen statistics, and, and this has been pretty consistent, um, indicating that application applicants only send thank you notes to interviewers around 
20 to 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that that is absolutely a golden moment. You've you've completed the interview. You need to stick in that person's mind, the the recruiter, the manager, whoever it is. Um you that's your one big chance to make sure that you don't just kind of evaporate. Right. So you need to, it's key strategy, remind the interviewers about your particular strengths. And it's also an opportunity. There's always something that you missed or maybe didn't give a great answer to in the interview. And that's, that's your moment to say, Hey, I forgot to mention, or I'd like to clarify what I said. And so, uh, so that thank you note is, is absolutely golden. I think you really need to do it. And I just don't understand why a candidate wouldn't do that. Now, you know, people may say, well, you know, after talking this through, this isn't really something I'm interested in. Fine. Send a thank you note. You know, don't ghost the employer and and just kind of vanish into the woodwork. Say, you know, I really appreciate our conversation and the time we spent today after considering it. I don't think this is the best match. And then you say, I'm still interested in working for you. And I hope that we can find maybe a better match sometime in the near future. Absolutely. That, that also that also keeps you you really top of mind. So and um so and also if you get a thanks but no thanks, um notification back, which you're going to get a lot, obviously, you know, because um, you're going to get a lot of no's before you get that. Yes, probably. Um, Thank your interview. Send a note um, thanking them for their time and interest and indicating that you're open to future positions that would probably be a better fit. Or sometimes you were second or third and the person they hired doesn't work out. And you're still top of mind if you just take that, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. It doesn't take long to to um, write that note to to be top of mind if something comes up. Well, you've so. mentioned, I think, in previous episodes, too, that, you know, HR people are a, a tight click. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they and, and, Absolutely. And, and they ask each other for leads for people that you know of anybody available you know any of the you know if you if you leave yourself as in a in a high professional level in that hr person's mind Mm -hmm. they may shoot you on to somebody else that's needing somebody just like you they just can't hire you and and it could be even within their own organization right as you said you may have applied for one particular job and that didn't work out but the manager and the HR person are saying, really good candidate, just not right for this job. That HR manager can kind of flip them over to something else that's a p- more appropriate to the person's skill level. Right. Sharon, well, and I, it's still I, a high percentage of, of jobs that are filled are un, uh, unpublished. Unpublished. Right, right. So it's, yeah, uh, that's right. A, it's a backwards way of networking almost. Yeah. Yeah, right. They have something else in the pipeline that they know is coming up, mm-hmm. but it's not fully formed, so they can't really tell you about it. Right, obviously. right, but, right. Well, and it could but, be where they've had something sitting on the back burner and they just haven't found the person with the right skills. And suddenly they're like, hey, you know what? They don't work here, but they are definitely going to work on this other project that yeah. we've got going. And it could even be where 
a candidate has an opportunity, and it may only be a temporary position, short-term, part-time, or whatever, but it could get their foot in the door if that's right. an organization yeah, exactly. they want to work for. Well, and, and it helps you – it may actually help you bridge that gap of not taking it personally. Yeah, that's Just very true. let it go that it has nothing to do with you but what – at that point in time, you weren't a match, but something else could be down the road, and if you leave it that way – right. It, it could work you for yep. you in the long right. run. I, I like that. Yep. I like the way you're describing this, Sharon, to keep people at the top of their mind to, you know, just yeah. their name is. A, and I, I used to say this to my students and I'm aging my students and myself with this. But I always used to tell them, keep your name on the top of the pile. Keep your resume mm-hmm. on the top of the pile. There's 100 resumes. You want yours on the top in consideration. Now, they may not actually have a pile of resumes anymore but it could be a list in a in a in a spreadsheet or it could be you know something on their applicant tracking system and you just want that your name keep popping up at the top yep exactly very good yeah well our listeners may have some difficulty in finding employment older job seekers do experiencing uh, some ageism they they have difficulty in showing technology aptitude and often can't clearly show their skill levels. Uh, but in this economy, employers need all qualified candidates. Talk about how older a job seekers can establish their credentials to move their applications toward successful employment. Yes, that's that's a topic that is uh, never going to go away. And what I tell Uh, the people that I work with is that your mindset plays a critical role in approaching issues such as age discrimination. Um, Age discrimination is very real. Um, We we're we're not uh, denying that age discrimination is a challenge is an issue. Um, But if you approach your search, if your mindset is, Oh, I'm probably going to be discriminated against because of my age, um, you're really missing an opportunity to demonstrate your value to an employer. So you need to make your age an asset rather than a liability. So as a mature worker, um, you offer dependability, flexibility in your schedule, um, superior work ethic. And when you present yourself in this light, it's more difficult for an employer to make an age a barrier for hiring. So I think that that your mindset actually does play a pretty critical role here. Um, if if you're having difficulty, if if you're having a little difficulty or challenge with technology, um, you need to take every opportunity you can get to be completely up to speed with technology, whether that's taking a course online. Um, using our local libraries because uh, I understand that they've gone back to in-person training for various uh, forms of technology. That's a great opportunity. And there are other opportunities too. And and to make sure that that's listed on your resume as a recent training. Hey, I just took Excel uh, 2020 or uh, Excel 365 or whatever the most recent version of Excel is. And Take an, uh, and uh, take an opportunity during the interview to discuss how you used Excel or plan to use Excel. For instance, that's one thing. Now, having said that, um, 
you also need to be prepared to work in a multi-generational environment where your manager could be easily 25, 30 years your junior. So, you know, I think... <laughs> then they're done um, that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and and I think that um, some, some employers are hesitant to hire just because they know this. So you need to be able to talk about and give examples of how you have worked with people of all ages in the past, you know, people who were your superiors, your colleagues, your junior colleagues, some of whom are older, some of whom are younger. But yeah, it we're going to have a multi-generational workforce. I don't think, you know, I think that's going to be um, even more critical because now we're having people well past uh, traditional retirement age staying in the workforce. And now we're having Gen Z folks coming into the workforce. So we have a huge age range there. And it's very much to your advantage to present examples of how you've worked with people of all ages in the past. And also to emphasize um, that you're a lifelong learner and willing to learn new approaches to manage the current work environment. Because I think that that's that's an important facet that um, part of age discrimination is, oh, somebody of a certain age is set in their ways. Well, no, that's not true of you. you. You're eager to learn new skills. You're eager to apply your skills. You're eager to um, see how this new work environment and make that work for you. So, All right. I, you know, in working with uh, the different generations, whether you've seen this movie or not, I think it's worth a, a look at The Intern with oh, Robert absolutely. De Niro. I, I, if yeah. nothing else, take inspiration from it. I think that movie did a pretty good job of spotlighting the the, the generational rifts, the uh, the complications that it can have. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's a well-done movie. I, I think it's, if nothing else, kind of takes some pieces to it. And even bring it up in, during right. a, during an interview we, process, it's right, like, you know, right. sort of thing. It's a great movie. Well, and we all we all wish that um, the outcome of that movie, as positive as it was, is always going to happen. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Right. But you know, Sharon, when you were describing those those pieces, really anybody who is in any of the isms are yeah. are dealing with this. It may not be multi generational differences but it could be multicultural differences yes it, it may be um not where you're looked at and not being able to do technology because you're older but you could someone could look at you and say well you haven't been to this college or you're you were at this public school so your tech skills probably aren't as good all of those situations really require the same response that we're telling listeners today that you yes. have to be a lifelong learner, be willing to take on new information. You don't have to be an expert, you know, in, in unless they're looking for software developers, you don't have to be an expert at Excel or Word. You have to be functional. You have to be able to do it on your own, not have somebody look over your shoulder to do an Excel spreadsheet. And, and that is easy to learn. Somebody who has, you know, had any experience with paper, pencil, mathematics mm-hmm. can learn to do that technology. It may take a while, but I keep saying, you know, we older adults invented the Internet. We can do these things. 
Yes, exactly. And it, it really is all about mindset. You know, I I I am able and willing and able to do whatever this is that's new or different. And and you need to be able to clearly show it on your resume. Exactly. Okay. So okay. Okay. Um so um one of the uh, most important issues in creating change in our current workforce it's gosh it's it has been in the news more than i ever remember it in all my years of doing career counseling and that's talking about salary i mean with with everything that came up during the pandemic people getting a little bit of extra because they were essential workforce and then all of a sudden you went from working remote to maybe having to go downtown and 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 go back to your office which given the patterns of traffic we have. I think a whole lot of people are going back to their office because they're all out on the road. Um, Many employers uh, are are finding their employees leaving because of getting a higher salary. Some folks are attempting to work with their employers on those increases, but salary negotiation is tough. I mean, I find it tough and I've been talking to people about it for a long time. What are the tips that older job seekers should approach in looking at that discussion. Yes, um I think that and I think that uh older job seekers have been historically kind of on the on the uh downside of this because pretty much the culture when they started working was okay, here's your salary. Um we'll give you an increase if you do what we want you to do, but you know so it was a much less, um, shall we say, flexible environment where um, you you just basically did the work and you were paid for it. And people who were smart still negotiated, I'm sure. But, you know, we're, we are really in a different environment. And the strategy that I recommend is that you demonstrate to the employer that the skills and experience you bring to the table will save the employer money, time, problems, any um, any number of things that you're actually going to be a net uh, bonus to their bottom line. You know, you don't need a lot of training to do the job. You can jump right in. You know, so think about past positions where you improve processes, discovered or fixed errors, um, trained employees because trained other employees um, found, you know, found new and different ways to do things. So employers are always going to be eager to hire people who will contribute to the bottom line. And therefore they are more likely to offer a higher pay pay rate to keep them. So if you prove that you're actually um, helping the employer's bottom line and what you're asking for is a little bit of that bottom line as a reward. Um, good employers will do that. Now, you know, I've had plenty of clients, I've, I'm working with one right now, who has an employer who has seemingly dug in and isn't willing to do that. Well, you know, that's going to be a net loss to the employer because I'm pretty sure that this client of mine, is, well, I know he's actively looking and I'm pretty sure some other company is going to snap him up pretty quickly once they realize how much value he's going to bring once he's on board with them. So it, it's a process of demonstrating, okay, here's what I can really do. We go back to that 
problem, challenge, or opportunity bit that we talked about earlier. And and use that as part of your salary negotiation. Uh, uh, Mr. or Ms. Employer, you know, here's some of the, the problems I've solved, money I've saved, uh, things that I've made better. Um, I can do that for your company too. So let's talk about how that plays into the salary that you're going to offer me. So, so, so the message really, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, let me guess here, that people are asking for salary increases just because they think they can because the employer doesn't want to have to rehire. You know, sort of like um, they got the, they've got the employer over a barrel. Well, that's really not a good place for negotiation. That's not a yes. A, a negotiation should be a good back and forth discussion, and with the employer saying, "Here's what I need you to do," and you showing, "Here's what I have done for you in the past, and what I can continue to do for you," so that it makes your makes your work and your skills more valuable to the employer. Not just because you're a warm body in the spot, but because in the long run it's going to be to for the good of the employer. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, you know, it, it's a win-win. You you want to present this as a win-win situation. Exactly. Exa- say that yeah. again, Sharon. You want to present this as a win-win situation. <laughs> the employer wins, you win, you know. Exactly, exactly. Right. Great. Social media is taking a larger and larger role in the application and that hiring process. You know, what tips do you have for the listener on the value of social media and how to make the most of tweets or posts or shares, whatever, you know, whatever platform you're on? Yeah, right. So, of course, LinkedIn and um, we did a, a section a segment on LinkedIn. I'd forgotten when, but I would go back and listen to that. LinkedIn is uh, is a key part of your job search strategy. And I would also say your career development. People always think of LinkedIn when they're in job search. What they don't think about is once they've landed that job, um, how to continue to use LinkedIn to learn, to connect with others, um, and, and to connect with future opportunities. Because honestly, um, if you didn't learn the lesson before 2020, um, that job is guaranteed for you until five o'clock today. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, somebody can walk in your office at 459 and say, sorry, you know, um, this is your last day on the job, pack up and leave. So you never know when you're going to need it. So LinkedIn is absolutely something that should always be on your radar, um, critical when you're in job search, and also, I think, really critical when you're not in job search, but just laying the foundation for whatever that next job is going to be, whether that's in six months, two years, five years, you know, right. keep, the, keep those warm connections going, right. build your network um, learn from your network, share with your network, all of those things. Again, you know, uh, that old top of pile reference, which is now top of mind, you know, 
Um, you want to be top of mind on LinkedIn. Um, anytime anybody has a question or a need that you can address. So, and they're going to reach out to you. So, and the way to do that is to be present on LinkedIn and share and learn. So, um, now I will say that beyond LinkedIn, especially when you're in active job search, it's a good idea to figure out which companies you're targeting and uh, visit their other social media pages. Um, there is a trend, and I've seen this discussed in several of my professional groups, um, that uh, among tech companies especially, but also among other organizations, to post jobs on Twitter and Facebook. So now you're going, oh, my God, LinkedIn is bad enough. Do I have to do Twitter and Facebook too? <laughs> but um, the the point being, you want to be um, knowledgeable on how to use these platforms when needed. Um, your challenge is, of course, to manage your interactions with multiple platforms and not get overwhelmed. So if Twitter isn't really your thing, just know that you know how to use it when you need to use it. Mm -hmm. Same thing for Facebook. If that's not your thing, um, you, you probably need a Facebook account. You probably need a Twitter account. But you don't have to be actively there, but you need to know how to tap into that when there is a need to do so. That would be it. Am I correct in thinking that with Twitter and some of the other social platforms over and above LinkedIn and Facebook, that if you create the account and then just basically follow a couple of of people or places or organizations, so there's something yeah. sort of flowing through yours yeah. You can kind of leave it alone. Yeah, you can pretty much leave it alone. Yeah. But you, yeah, you do want to find some people or organizations that you want to follow. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Sharon, as always, our programs just fly by. And before you know it, we're at the end. Um, we always ask our guests for their final words of wisdom. So, um, what other suggestions or advice do you have that we haven't discussed yet today? Well, um, I would say that my word of wisdom for today is that the last few years have taught us many lessons about expecting the unexpected and adjusting to change. And really, your best qualification for your next job is to be able to demonstrate your ability to adapt to new circumstances and make the best of them. So um, you, you are the, um, you are the uh, captain of your career ship and it's probably gotten tossed on the waves a bit recently, but if you could demonstrate how you've managed that and how you, you've prepared yourself to move forward and are continuing to prepare your, Self to meet new unexpected circumstances. Um, employers have also gotten their ships tossed pretty wildly in these seas. So if they can find somebody who's willing to partner with them to, you know, steady the course, steer the ship forward, they're going to be very interested in talking to you, I think. That's excellent, Sharon. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks, Sharon, for sharing your expertise with us today. You know, listeners, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our show notes for contact information. We're going to put all the resources we talked about, as well as some links to 
uh, previous episodes that we've had Sharon with. In fact, what we'll do is we'll create a collection of all those episodes and just have it with one link, and you can listen to episode after episode after episode with Sharon and we too. So yeah, um, excellent. And you be sure to you know check that out in the show notes, and we'll have that on the website, lookingforwardourway.com. And we're looking forward to hearing your feedback on this and any of other of our other podcast episodes. <laughs>